0: Father, we just pray that for these young lives that have been entrusted to us with your teaching and your word. and We pray first of all to those who teach and to help, that indeed their hearts will be attuned to what you have to say to these young lives. And then we pray for these young lives. Father, protect them. They're growing up in a godless world. And all around that they see is nothing of you. Father, we just pray for this short time in the week that we have them in our trust and care. That we shall give to them the hope of the world. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, bless them, we pray. And those who teach. Amen. It's God's word. Father, we thank you for Mark. We thank you for his ministry. We thank you for his life that is given to you. And Father, now we pray that as you have been in his preparation during this week, that you will now anoint his lips. That we shall hear, yes, his voice, but we shall hear your words. Father, upon Mark now, your blessing we pray. Open areas. Let us hear what you have to say to us that we know that we have truly been spoken to by the living God this morning. Amen. Thank you, Mark.
1: Well, good morning. Let me invite you to open up in your Bibles, please, to the book of Romans, Romans chapter three. And as you open up to Romans chapter three, uh, we'll be beginning in verse 21, by the way. Hope your Christmas was good. Christmas is long gone. The new year has begun. Not sure uh, how your new year has uh, gotten off to uh, a good start or a uh, an ill start for a lot of people, I think. We had a unique Christmas and New Year. We were in South Africa. We were blessed to be able to go to visit my sister-in-law. South Africa, if you've never been, is a beautiful, beautiful country. What a beautiful world God has made. in. South Africa is a jewel of God's world. And uh, the natural beauty, the natural resources, the potential of the people, friendly people, If you know anything about the history of South Africa, you know that not very long ago there was uh, organized legal discrimination against blacks and coloreds and Indians. They were treated very, very badly and very unfairly. One of the heroes of the cause is a man that we probably all recognize his name, at least Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela was on trial with lots of other leaders who were trying to fight for the freedom and the equality of the blacks and the coloreds and the Indians. And it was on a knife edge, and the world was looking at South Africans saying, if you kill these, these people who are on trial uh, will come up against you with all kinds of sanctions and, 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 and punishments. And it uh, turns out they did give these men life imprisonment. And Nelson Mandela, at the end of the trial, gave this very impassioned speech where he said, the coloreds and the, the Indians and the blacks, we just want to participate fully in the South African society. And it's a matter for all of us. And at the end of his speech, he said something like, This is a cause uh, it, it's, it's worth me living for, and if necessary, to die for. Well, we were in South Africa, and despite the beauty and the natural resources, we were shocked at the shanty towns, people literally, literally living in shacks, the discrimination that is still there, the unfairness that's obvious the education system the transport system in array if you know anything about the crime in south africa very prevalent a very unsafe place the government itself corrupt and you look and you think nelson mandela nelson mandela what you said you would die for what you live for what you fought for it hasn't happened has it well, we're going to look at briefly the life and death of jesus christ And there are many, many in this world who look at Jesus Christ and his life and his death and say, Jesus, what you lived for, what you died for, it hasn't worked, has it? We're going to look at Romans chapter 3. I'm going to proclaim to you from God's word that actually the life and death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it has worked. It has produced results. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21, um, yeah, we, we can start the slideshow now. Romans 3, uh, verse 21, till the end of the chapter, it speaks of a righteousness from God. Now, righteousness is the character or quality of being right or just. The question before us is how can you have right standing before God? Many of us enjoy this right standing before God. There might be some here who, who aren't sure. Most of the people in the world don't have right standing before God. What I'd like to show you from God's word is the righteousness from God is singular, it's separate, it is so simple, it has a standard, and it satisfies. Let's read from uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 21, through to the end of the chapter. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Take note that the righteousness from God is singular. Now, every single word in the Bible is vital and intentional. So verse 21 reads, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known. It is a righteousness. See, there is only one way uh, you could be made right with God. And verse 22 reads, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Most of us here believe in Jesus, and, and only those who believe in Jesus are right before God. But but why only Jesus? This is one thing the, the world can't understand. It seems narrow. It, it, it seems exclusive. Well, here's why it's only Jesus. Verse 25 reads, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. It's only the sacrifice of Jesus that produces atonement. Now that word atonement means at one with God. You see, everyone here has started off life at war with God. We like to be in control. We like to call the shots. We think we know, shockingly, more than God. We like our own way of getting to heaven. You might remember that last year, on November the 11th, we celebrated 100 years since the end of World War I. It was on November 11th, 1918, that the Germans made peace with the allied countries. And the signing of that armistice ended World War I. Now, in the war, both sides were guilty of what we might call war crimes. Both sides, in the name of peace and defending their cause, committed atrocities now in our war with God it's not like that God is holy he is free from every form of evil see we are the guilty party and and God is right and just to condemn us God has no compromises to make this atonement is not a negotiation between us and God God has every right to condemn us. And that's what makes these verses we've been reading so special. It's why we rejoice as Christians. You see, God in Jesus has dealt with our sin. We are guilty before him. But now, God in Jesus can show mercy and everlasting love to us sinners who place faith in Jesus. That is simply good news. Well, take note that this righteousness from God is not only singular, but it's also separate. It is separate from any work or effort on our part. And that's good news. See, verse 21 reads, but now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known. Now, I know a lot of you here. I I know that most of you, you, you're very good when you compare yourself to other humans. That's very true. You're in church this morning. And uh, many of you have been attending this church for many years. Now, what happens as humans is often uh, we like to mix our goodness and our church attendance with Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross. So if we were in school and studying it as a mathematics or scientific formula, it might look something like this. My goodness plus my church attendance plus Jesus' atoning sacrifice equals my forgiveness. I tell you, that's how most people Uh, who are actually not Christians, uh, look at their forgiveness. They might take out the church attendance because a lot of people don't attend church, but my goodness plus Jesus' atoning sacrifice equals forgiveness would be the formula for most people uh, in England. The problem with that math is it's wrong, according to verse 21 and verse 28. See, verse 28 says, Paul is writing and he says, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Now, Paul is writing this letter to Christians who lived in Rome. What Paul is saying here is he says, you know, me... And everyone who teaches with me, all we do, guys, is we simply repeat, we assert, we proclaim what God has already said is true. And that is, Christ- uh, humans contribute absolutely zilch to salvation. What Paul could have said here, he could have given this illustration. Speaking to the Romans, he could have said, you know, there were soldiers in your country who arrested and crucified Jesus. And remember on that day, they crucified Jesus. They also crucified two robbers alongside Jesus. One of those robbers looked to Jesus and believed. And Paul could have said, you know, that robber had no chance to go to church, did he? He had no chance to give money. He had no chance to do any good deed. Yet Jesus on the cross promised this robber at one with God. See, this righteousness from God is separate from any activity or effort on your part. And that is simply good news. Because we simply can't do enough to satisfy the righteousness of God. So the righteousness of God that most of us enjoy and rejoice in and celebrate and live in is not only singular and separate, but it's also so Simple. Look at verse 22. It says this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The righteousness from God comes through a person, Jesus Christ. You see, we all know how to relate to another person. Uh, we've been raised by people. We went to school with or go to school with people. We live amongst people. We communicate, we shop amongst, we attend church with people. We all know that if a person offers us something we want or need, we simply go to that person to get what we need from them. And that is simply what God invites every human to do in Jesus. Right standing with God comes to all who believe in Jesus. So what does it mean to believe in Jesus? In other words, how how did we go to Jesus or how do we go to Jesus and get what we need? Well, belief in Jesus always has two parts in the Bible. First, to believe means to be persuaded or convinced. And then you place confidence in Jesus alone. Well, what does that look like? Well, all of you are exhibiting belief. You're convinced that the chair you're sitting in would support you, and you demonstrated that belief by simply sitting in the chair. And your faith is solely on the chair. You haven't brought bricks with you to prop up the chairs to give it extra support. When you stand to sing, uh, you don't check the chair for balance or put some, some weight on it just to test it before you sit down. None of you have brought tools in case the chair needs a repair. No, that initial faith that you demonstrated actually years ago, sitting on chairs, the faith that you demonstrated when you came into the building today, that initial belief enables you to stand and sit and stand and sit until you leave this building. How many of you have ever ordered pizza from Domino's? (laughs) You call Domino's, or you go online, you place your order, you pay your money, and Domino's promises to deliver your pizza. And what do you do in the meantime? You just get on with your life, because you believe that that pizza will arrive as promised. You don't add your efforts to Domino's promise. You don't call Domino's every two minutes. Are you you sure you have the address right? Are Are you sure you have the directions? You don't do that. You don't go and put up signs from Domino's Pizza to your house to give directions to your house. You don't quickly cut the grass or paint the house or wash your car so Domino's will see how good you are. (laughs) No, you simply take Domino's at their word. And here's what's interesting about that faith we place in Domino's. Do you know what kind of people work at Domino's? I'll tell you what kind of people work at Domino's Pizza. People who lie. People who cheat. People who drive too fast. People who gossip. People who disobey their bosses and their parents. In other words, a sinner has made a promise to you and you believe it. God is holy. He never does anything wrong. God is totally dependable. He says that forgiveness comes only if you trust Jesus alone and not in yourself. Most people in the world find it very easy to believe in Domino's Pizza. (laughs) Yet they struggle to believe in the promise of God. Faith in Jesus is so simple. We simply place this sitting-in-our-chair faith in Jesus. We simply place that Domino's pizza faith in Jesus. Be persuaded that you are unacceptable to God. Be convinced that only Jesus' death on the cross makes you right with God. Stop thinking that you must be good to earn or keep God's favor. Simply go to Jesus and receive from him the promise forgiveness. Domino's promises to deliver your pizza... And you believe it. Jesus promises to deliver your forgiveness. If you haven't yet believed that, believe it. That is simply the most fabulous news you'll ever hear. Because being right with God has a standard and every one of us, every single day. Despite our efforts and despite our intentions, we always fall short of meeting that standard. Let's remind ourselves of that standard from God's word. It's found in Romans 3.23, where it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you see the standard there at the end of verse 23, the glory of God. That's the standard. So what is the glory of God that we fall short of? Well, lots of ways of understanding God's glory. One way to think of God's glory is to think of it as God's story. Think of all God is, all that God does. And God's glory is his perfect character, now, our story, on the other hand, all we are and all we do, it falls far short of the excellence, the moral perfection of God. Let's begin by looking in the Bible for just, just one example of how we all fall short. And I hope that you are reading your Bibles every day because faith comes through God's word. And as you read God's word at home, you'll notice constantly how Perfect God is in character and how we fall short. Well, turn to your Bibles to Romans chapter 2, verse 2. Just one place to look at, just to see how we fall short of this perfection of God, the glory of God. Romans 2, verse 2 says, Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. We're going to focus on that word truth. You see, sometimes we make decisions based on how we feel or how much money we have or how much money we're willing to spend. Uh, We might make decisions based on friends' recommendations, like a movie, for example. Often we base judgments on what we think others will think of us. (laughs) Or we make decisions based on the weather, like when (laughs) or where we might holiday. In other words, our judgments are often based on things that change. And the word for truth here in Romans 2, 2 indicates God's eternal, unchanging, universal truth. So you see, we fall short of that in everyday life. Another way of understanding how we fall short is to think that God's standard, uh, his own character, his perfection is represented by the ceiling. In order for you to be accepted by God, in order for you to have right standing before God, you must, from the moment of conception... Through today and on into every single tomorrow you live, you must perfectly match God's standard in every area of your life. But we all fall short. And this is what original sin does. It marks every area of your life with sin. Original sin does not mean that you never do anything right or there's no good in you. But what it means is you are not, you cannot, you never have been holy. You've never perfectly matched God's standard in every area of your life, every day of your life. So if you graph different areas of your life, it might look like a mountain range or a city skyline. And take kindness. (laughs) Uh, you might not be able to see it on the screen, but you take kindness. And let's say, let's say the standard is a ceiling, and your kindness might hit 10 feet. And, you know, you might be very satisfied with that. And you also may think, as many, many people who are not Christians think, well, I've done my very best. God's got to accept me. I can't do anything more. The problem with that way of thinking, though, is you fall short. Or you may do what a lot of people who aren't Christians do. They compare their level of kindness with others. So if you're doing that in here today, you might say, ah, yes, I'm, I'm doing quite good. I mean, look at this clown on my right. Uh, their level of kindness is only eight feet. <laughs> and this loser on my left, well, they only hit five foot eight inches. <laughs> but you look at Romans 3.23, and again, it says all have sinned and fall short. So you and all the clowns and losers around you, you all fall short together. Or... It might be this. It might be that you and your best mates, maybe all of you, hit ten feet in kindness. See, but together, all of you fall short. Or you may honestly recognize that someone has excelled you in certain areas of your life. One day I was on the doors, and... Um, I'm visiting in the house of a man who lets me in regularly, and because of of, of failing health, he needs special care. And one day I was there, and and his nurse was there, and and this nurse was so kind, listening to him, uh, caring for him, meeting all his needs. She was very friendly. She did his shopping, and she was very honest. She brought the change and brought the receipt. She offered to do more. And when she left, this man, who does not believe, he got emotional, He got teary-eyed, and he carried on our conversation, and this is what he said. He says, I cannot believe what you're telling me is true. I cannot believe that kind lady will end up in hell. He said, I will not accept that. See, the problem is, according to God, whose judgments are based on truth, who this kind nurse will stand before one day, See, it doesn't matter one iota how emotional this guy felt. It doesn't matter what he believes. It doesn't matter how he thinks things should be. God's standard is the ceiling. And that very kind, helpful nurse and everyone falls short. No wonder we rejoice in the righteousness that's ours in Jesus. We all start off life guilty, For a holy God. In fact, we remain guilty before a holy God. So, verse 24 of Romans chapter 3, it's such awesome relief. It's such good news. This is the news we rejoice in. Verse 24 says, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, verse 24 is addressed only to those who believe in Jesus. What happens when you believe? Well, you're justified. That means God looks upon the one who believes in Jesus just as if they'd never sinned. That's marvelous news to a guilty, condemned sinner. And how does justification happens? Well, it happens freely by his grace. You see, think about it. If your justification had anything at all to do with your efforts at being good or your church attendance, this verse would have to read something like and are justified by earning his grace or are justified by deserving his grace. But it reads freely. Justification comes free from any effort on your part. It's grace. Grace is God giving you, the guilty sinner, what you don't deserve, what you cannot earn. Such love, such love. And the grace which gives justification comes only through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And what is redemption? Well, redemption occurs when guilt is removed because the punishment for guilt falls on a substitute. Now, that substitute had to agree to stand in our place. And that substitute also had to be holy. That is totally separate from sin. And as you see in verse 24, that redemption came through Jesus. The lambs that were sacrificed in the Bible, remember they had to be without blemish. See, they were a picture of the coming Lamb of God, Jesus, who is holy and who died once for the forgiveness of sin for the whole world. So all that being said, do we just ignore all the laws in the Bible, forget about being good, and just focus on this belief in Jesus? Actually, the Bible tells us that our faith faith that most of us here enjoy, it enables us to actually uphold every law. Look at verse 31. Paul asked the question to the Romans, do we then nullify the law by this faith? No, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. What does that mean? How does that happen? Remember, we all fall short of God's standard, the ceiling. So how do we uphold the law by this faith? Well, see, the law does two things. And when you're at home reading the Bible each day, you might come across Romans chapter 7 and 8 in particular, where you see the two things uh, right side by side that the law does. Let's just talk about two things that the law does. First of all, first of all, the law brings death. What does that mean? How does the law do that? Well, remember the law demands and God demands perfect death keeping of every single law. We do not do that and therefore we are rightly condemned before God. The law was given. The law was written down and preserved. Anybody can clearly simply read you shall not lie and you know you're guilty. Anybody can simply read don't desire any of your neighbor's goods and you know you're guilty. The law was written preserved, given, we read it, and we simply know we're guilty. And the law's penalty from God is death for our guilt. So the law brings death. But the second thing the law does is it brings life. The same law that brings death also brings life. It says in Romans 8, but let me tell you about Galatians 3.24, which says, the law has become our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. See, Jesus said all along that all the Old Testament, all those laws, they're all about Him. And Jesus fulfilled every one of those laws on our behalf. And here's a freebie for you, by the way, when you read about the Jewish religious leaders like the Pharisees, you know how they accuse Jesus of breaking the law in the gospels? Well, The law that Jesus broke was those laws, those extra laws that those religious leaders came up with. Those are the laws that Jesus broke. Jesus kept every one of God's laws. And when we, by faith, believe in Jesus, the life that Jesus lived, where he kept every one of God's laws, that life is credited to us. And then we stand justified before God. Just as if we've never sinned. God can look at us as if we've upheld every law by our faith in Jesus. So faith in Jesus upholds or satisfies the requirements of the law. As Christians, we agree that the whole law must be perfectly kept. Christians, we see our guilt. We know we're unable to keep every law perfectly. And the same law that condemns us is the same law that points us to Jesus. And most of us have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus. That's why we come here Sunday by Sunday and we rejoice and we support one another and we celebrate our faith together. Well, that's what Christians believe. We're guilty before God, but that guilt has been nullified by our faith in Jesus. That being said, there are only two kinds of people, therefore. Here today, there are only two kinds of people in the world today you're either a Pharisee which means you've written your own laws and you think like the Pharisees think that by being good enough to obey your own laws by giving your best effort you're right with God and like the Pharisees you're refusing the only way you can actually be made right with God and stand justified is by faith in Jesus alone so you're either a Pharisee Or you're an oh I see. (laughs) The law does not want me to be good or try my best. The law states I must have faith in Jesus alone to stand justified before God. This new year I encourage you not to leave here this morning satisfied to be a Pharisee. That's writing your own death sentence. Come today and receive the life of Jesus. If you have any questions, come and speak to me or one of the church leaders, and let's understand together how you can be sure that you've received the righteousness of Jesus and to be sure you stand justified before God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that righteousness can be ours. Thank you that it comes not through our failing efforts, but through the successful fruitful, faithful life of your son Jesus. Help us all, every one of us today, to be sure we have that certainty of justification. If we do, Father, teach us to rejoice in it and help us to share it, to live it, and please to give it away. Hallelujah. Amen.